It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago. Through the mouth of David, concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language a keldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Versabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. Christ's ministry continues.
We took that title from the very first verse where he refers to Theophilus, the object of his writing, same person he was writing the Gospel of Luke to, which is named after the writer. Uh, Theophilus means a friend of God or a lover of God. He said, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began, can we say began? Began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. Christ's ministry began in Luke, and it continues in Acts, and it continues in us. 28 chapters in this wonderful book, 30 years of history of the early church, and it kind of ends without an ending. There is no epilogue. There is no dismissal prayer. There is no farewell. See you later. Hope you enjoyed this, Theophilus. No, it just ends. Paul was in a rented house teaching things about the kingdom of God and just kind of ends and leaves you hanging. The reason being is it's not over. The history of the church continues. Can I get an amen? amen. And through the church, Christ's ministry continues through you and I as his hands and feet. Today's text in the video began with verse 7. Jesus said, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. In verse 6, the disciples had asked him, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They knew Jesus was the Messiah, and he had fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament concerning the suffering Messiah, but there was a bunch of other prophecies about the conquering Messiah that are yet to be fulfilled. And Lord, uh, what about these other prophecies, I think is what they're implying. And he said, it is not for you to know times or seasons. There's two Greek words there. Times is chronos and seasons is kairos. Uh, the, way, the best way I understand it, chronos is a specific space of time. A day is, is chronos because it's 24 hours. It's uh, 86,400 86, seconds. That's a, that's a day. That's a set period of time. That's chronos. Kairos is a fixed place in time. It's a proper time. And he said, it's not for you to know times, spaces of time, and seasons or specific times which the Father has put in his own authority. Every few years, somebody thinks they have a revelation that supersedes the words of Jesus here, and they'll come out with a book, you know, making some kind of prediction. And a thing intrigues you. I remember a guy being interviewed saying, in 1999, all evil was going to be expunged from the earth. Oh, doesn't that sound good? Don't you want to buy the book? I'll tell you when to get the book and save money. Wait till 2000. You get them on sale. Like in February of 2000, you could buy those Y2K books, half price at Mardell's. Christ said, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own power, his own exousia, his own power, his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's like saying in Granbury, in Hood County, and Glenrose, and the rest of Texas to the end of the earth. Expanding, ever expanding concentric circles of the spreading of the gospel. We are called to be witnesses. We don't know when all the victorious prophecies of the Messiah are going to be fulfilled, but we know now we have a job to do. 
Some people suffer with SPE. Who's ever suffered with SPE? It means someplace else. You can't enjoy what's happening now for wanting what's going to happen in the future or what somebody else is doing. You can't enjoy your family for being jealous of somebody else's family. Always some other place. Meanwhile, there's a job for you to do here and now. Guys, don't worry about when I'm going to restore the kingdom to Israel. You go to Jerusalem and wait for this promise that I told you, and you're going to receive power. Leave the Father's power alone, and you receive the Holy Spirit power to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and all all parts of the earth. Now, the bad news in that is the word he used for witness is the word martyr, which means martyr. (laughs) You're going to go out and give your life for me through the power of my spirit throughout the earth. That's the job you have to do. And it actually plays a part in the Messiah's victory. The suffering Messiah's ministry continues, and the victory is coming to the world. Verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, two messengers, two angels, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up in heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. You saw him leave visibly, going up, physically, literally, in his new body, and you're going to see him come back visibly, literally, physically in his new body. It's not going to be a metaphor. It's not going to be a symbol. It's not going to be uh, a mist. It's going to be the real Jesus who went away, coming back like he came to that very place. Zechariah says the Mount of Olives will split and there'll be a valley running into the city of Jerusalem from his return. So the people knocking on your door on Sunday afternoon, sometimes telling you Jesus came back in 1940-something or whatever, they're just wrong. And to cover that up, they, they created a new doctrine where Jesus actually didn't bodily resurrect from the dead. I mean, they're messing with the gospel there. They're just wrong. All right, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, which is a little over half a mile. And when they had entered, entered where? Jerusalem. They went up into the upper room where they were staying. Some people think this may have been the upper room where Christ served the Last Supper. We don't know for sure. And then he names the 11 remaining apostles, Peter, James, John, And Andrew, now Peter and Andrew were brothers, James and John were brothers, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord. The word there for one accord means unanimously. In prayer, which is prosyuke, prosyuke, literally to bless forward, or to worship in prayer and supplication, which is prayer, to petition the Lord. So they're praying with intensity, with worship, with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, why are they doing this? The Lord told them to go and wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Uh, 
the Gospel of Luke ends with them going to the temple daily so and worshiping and blessing God. So maybe they were meeting in the upper room and then they go to the temple and have service there and come back to the upper room and have service there. And they were just uh, busy waiting on the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, and in those days, sometime later, within the 10-day period, between Christ's ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. Some people think it was 120 men plus the women, which the word for women also means wives. So in the group of women was no doubt Peter's wife and some of the apostles who were married, their spouses. They say it was 120 men that were named because he said, men and brethren... This scripture had to be fulfilled. I don't know if that's true, but um, it certainly was a bunch of people for an upper room. This scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now, Verses 18 and 19 are a parenthetical statement. So let's skip them and then we'll go back to them, okay? The Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus, verse 17, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Now, in the video, he's read, they hand him a scroll, and he reads from the scroll. But this is two different places of the scroll. This is kind of a, a, a strange deal. He believes that these two psalms apply. Psalm 69, 25, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. And Psalm 109, verse 8, let another take his office. Was Peter wrong here in what he's about to do? I'll let you make up your mind. There, the point is it happened and Luke recorded it. Now, verse 18 and 19, Luke talks about Judas. He said, now this man, Judas, purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. That was 30 pieces of silver that he was paid to betray Jesus and help them arrest him at night. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and his entrails gushed out. What in the world is that? The Gospels say that he hung himself and died. Uh, The Gospels say the priest purchased a field. So what in the world is going on? I think we're completing the story. He hung himself and either the rope broke, the rope came loose, and he fell off the cliff that he was hanging from, or the branch broke on the tree, and he was injured to the point his guts came out. All right, verse 19, it became known to all those dwell in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. So here's what happened. If you look at what is said here and what is said in the Gospels, when he realized he had betrayed Jesus and Jesus was not going to uh, go through with conquering Israel, he was going to allow himself to be crucified, he tried to return the money. He tried to undo the deal. And the priest, being religious, said, that's blood money. We don't want anything to do with that money. So he threw it on the temple floor and left. 
They took that money and bought the field where he committed suicide. He threw the money on the temple floor, left, committed suicide, hung himself, and no doubt fell until his guts came out. All right. They took this money and bought the field in his name, not in their name. So it could be said, Judas bought the field where he died. Now that's legalism for you, isn't it? But that's what legalists are. They know all the loopholes. All right. So Peter, having read these two verses, takes it upon himself to replace Judas. Now, why would he do this? Well, Jesus in Matthew 19, 28, talked to them about 12 thrones that the 12 apostles would be seated on and that they would one day judge the 12 tribes. So it'd be natural for Peter to assume Judas isn't going to be sitting on that throne. We got an empty seat here. And so while we're waiting on the Holy Spirit, let's get some things done, right? And so they choose, and here's how they chose. He said, verse 21, Therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Now, Christ had chose 12 of his followers to become apostles after a long night of prayer. Yep, and one of them was Judas. Even he had a problem on his team. Um, There's a humorous paper someone wrote coming from a fictitious personnel company praising the attributes of Judas and downplaying the attributes of the other 11 you know, disciples, Peter's too impetuous, Thomas is a doubter, and John and James are violent, they want to kill people, and, and, but this Judas guy, he's really got it going on. We highly recommend that you hire him. And it was a humorous thing. If you ever run across it, you'll enjoy it. Um, back to the sermon. So he wants to replace Judas, and he, he deems that this person needs to be somebody who was a witness at, at, John's, at Jesus' baptism. He wanted him to be there when John baptized Jesus. Well, out of that crowd, they found two people that were very familiar with the ministry of Jesus all the way from being witnesses of his baptism to being witnesses of his ascension. They proposed two. Joseph calls Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and this guy named Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. Take part in this ministry, take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And they rolled the dice. They flipped the coin. They cast their lots and the lot fell on Matthias. They drew straws and Matthias drew the short one or the long one. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. What a strange story here in the beginning of the history of the church. A lot of strange things happen, but the casting of lots is not as far out as you think. It was present in Old Testament worship. The, they would cast lots to determine who would minister in the temple on what days. Uh, there was 24 teams, and they, they took turns by lots, casting lots. Um, it was a sinful practice as well. Uh, they cast lots for Jesus' garment. He had a a seamless robe. They didn't want it tore up. 
Uh, normally, they would separate a person's garments when they crucified him, but here was a seamless robe, so the soldiers cast lots to see who would get this seamless robe. It showed me Christ didn't run around in rags. It was something worthy of gambling over, but that's another sermon. What a, what a strange story. Whether or not Jesus had instructed Peter to replace Judas Iscariot has been debated for centuries. I don't intend on settling that debate today. I'm going to flip a coin to determine the answer. No. Speaking of flipping coins, um, as I was getting to know of that, and we were getting close, I think we were holding hands by that time, I wasn't willing to commit to her when we had that define the relationship um, conversation because I didn't trust my own heart. I had always been kind of fickle with girls. And she liked me, and she liked this other guy. And uh, she didn't feel right about it. She wanted to stop it. So she flipped a coin. And I won the flip. (laughs) Years later, after being married, we've been married 39 years, so the flip worked. Years later, when I was secure in my manhood, she told me the story. Yeah, I teased her. I said, was it heads I win, tails he loses? Or how many times do you flip that thing? (laughs) A double-headed coin? Proverbs 18, verse 18 says, Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. Like a football referee flipping a coin, so the casting of lots can help settle issues without the appearance of favoritism. So there is a place for casting lots. Some things are not worth arm wrestling over, fighting over what's going to be fair and what's not going to be fair. Just let the coin decide. Is this the guidance system that God has for the church? No, no, the Holy Spirit. They've not yet received the fullness of the Holy Spirit yet. That was going to come the next chapter. So what in the world am I talking about today? Can we say it together? So what? what? Thank you for asking. The reason for this sermon is to emphasize unanimous unity. What is amazing in this story is nobody spoke up and says, wait a minute. Peter, were you there when John the Baptist baptized Jesus? Uh I heard Matthias cuss the other day. So-and-so was there, and he's not here. He went to the bathroom. It's not fair. No, they stayed in unity. Uh, A lot of the parables of Jesus, part of the theme, if you dig into them, is on fairness versus unfairness. The men that worked all day for a sum and then the men that worked half a day for the same sum and men that worked for one hour for the same sum. That's economics, the law of supply and demand at work. But the guy that worked all day is tempted to think it's not fair. There's a church in Australia that did a series on the, on the parables of Jesus and emphasized this fairness versus unfairness thing. And, 
and they acted out the parables with their Australian's accent. And uh, uh, one of the videos I saw, they tell the story of, G- of the shepherd leaving the 99 to go find the one that's lost. And the 99 are whining saying, man, it's not fair. It's not fair that he leaves us to go find the one. Nah, it's not fair. That wasn't the case in this room. They were unified. They were in one accord, a perfect atmosphere for Acts chapter 2 to happen. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one place with one accord. And suddenly, the Holy Spirit came. Unanimous unity is based. It's not without a basis. It's based on common promises. Whether you get chosen for the position of honor, you have the same promise that anybody else has. Christ is coming back for you. The rapture is your portion. The Holy Spirit is for you. God is for you. Salvation is for you. We have common purposes. The ministry of Jesus is to be continued. There's hungry people we must feed, thirsty people we must give drink to, people in prison and sick that we must visit, people needing clothes that we must help clothe. Common praises, the same cross that saved the guy who's getting elevated is the same one that saved me and elevated me from my sin. We sing together because we've all got a reason, that grace that is enough He uses the weak to lead the strong. Common prayers. There's no temptation that has taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape. So you see, we got plenty of reasons to be in unity. Now, there's nothing that can generate unity any more in a church than prayer. And we have a regular prayer meeting here every Monday morning unless it is a holiday. Can we just show our appreciation to those who are faithful to attend that prayer meeting? 10 a.m. here every Monday unless it's a holiday, and there's several Monday holidays in the year. Intercessors need a break, right? We all need breaks. But maybe you're not, you're not able to come. If you would be able to come to a regular um, Evening prayer meeting, let me know what evening that evening would be. All right, let's leave that with you. Also, um, every Sunday in the bulletin is a guest communication card as well as a member communication card, and on that is a space for a prayer request. Take advantage of that um, and place it in the offering boxes when you leave. Also up here at the front are special prayer request cards that are also available. We want to utilize the power of prayer. If we're going to be a people of unanimous unity, prayer must be a part of it. When you don't pray, the enemy comes in and sows discord. And sometimes the remedy to discord is just praying more and God clears it up. Unanimous unity is based on a common problem. Who enjoyed the One Nation Under God event we had a few weeks ago in the park? Some pastors got together that helped organize that and said, what's the secret? 
how did God bless our community like this? And they all agreed, you know what? We all have our differences, but we all have a common enemy. And we needed to pray together. And our unity is based on common power. The power of the Holy Spirit, the authority of the Father is over all of us. And the power of the Holy Spirit is for all of us so that we might be witnesses for the Lord. Matthias isn't mentioned again. But to be fair, uh, most of the other 12 weren't mentioned either except for Peter, of course, and John, and his brother James was mentioned when he got beheaded. Um, the, the other apostles, which would include Matthias, were mentioned in Acts 2.14, which says Peter stood up with the 11. So there's Peter and 11 guys with him. That would include Matthias. And then in Acts 6, verse 2, when they're settling the issue of widows that are being neglected in the daily distributions... It says the 12 were united in this decision to help raise up leaders for this. The 12 were going to give themselves to the word and to, and to prayer. So while, Math- while Matthias may have been honored more than others, um, those that would be tempted to be jealous really would see that if they had been chosen, if the coin had flipped their way, if the lot had been cast their direction, if Peter had altered the requirements for them, maybe the job wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. Uh, for years, I worked in the, at the Crescent Hotel in Dallas and w- w- became the head doorman twice because I got demoted to Scrub Valley Parker twice. And while it was humiliating to be demoted, uh, the money was still good and the pressure was less. And so you can't beat them, you join them, you just enjoy the break from all that pressure from you know, all the different people you're accountable to as a leader and just enjoy just chasing cars. Matthias no doubt had a target put on him this day as the other apostles, all of whom died as martyrs. Peter was crucified upside down. Um, another guy was skinned alive. James was beheaded. Matthias, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, which I would deem a reliable source more so than Wikipedia, you go to Wikipedia, they have, they have uh, him dying as a martyr in Georgia, which is Eastern Europe, and him dying as a martyr in Ethiopia. Well, you can't be both places. Fox's Book of Martyrs has been around for a long time. And they said he was martyred in Jerusalem, They stoned him, and then they beheaded him. They stoned him, and then just to make sure he was dead, they cut his head off. So no doubt, he faithfully served in the role God had for him. What role are you in right now? God's will is for you to be faithful wherever you are, and in your faithfulness, he will lead you. Promotion comes from God. He will lead you to where he wants you to go. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Lord. 
Help us, Lord, to be faithful in the area in which you've called us to serve. From our families to our jobs to our congregation to our potential. Help us, Lord, to enjoy the journey while pursuing those things you've called us to pursue. In Jesus' name, amen. So the point today is unity is really important. Um, Paul, in one place in, in 1 Corinthians, says, if there's any contentious among you, we have no such custom. Another place he said to uh, have nothing to do with a contentious person after the second or third warning. In other words, make room for Jesus. Don't hang out with contentious people unless you become like him. Make no fellowship with a, make no friendship with an angry man, Proverbs says, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. With that being said, there's some things that really aren't worth fighting over. Maybe there's a husband and wife that just can't come to agreement on something. You like gray and she likes silver or she likes white and you want pink. That's, if that's you, let's talk. But, um, <laughs> some, things, some things could be settled by flipping a coin. Let the coin be the bad guy. <laughs> it could help save face too. And maybe after you've been married 39 years, you can just spit it out like I do. Sometimes you were right and I was wrong. And if you know you're right and you know the other party and the contention is wrong, is it the end of the world if things go the wrong way and the person has to learn the hard, the hard way? Is that the end of the world? Maybe it's a good thing. The Lord be your guide. Let's stand. Is anybody hungry? Stay and eat with us if you can. It's for a good cause. Uh, I'm going to dismiss you here in a minute, and we would like to stack the chairs in this section, this section, and this section. Leave those two sections and leave that one just like it is. Just stack them in stacks of five. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And if flipping a coin is a wise thing to do, may you know when to do it and when not to. Above all, pray, 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 and walk in unity everywhere you can. As much as is possible, walk in peace with all men, the New Testament says. God bless you. Go get him, tigers.